a technical question. Could anybody hear what I was doing? No. Okay, I was eating this lemon. Oh my god. That's gross. <laughs> How dare you eat lemons? What, what judgment in your voice? You don't eat lemons. It's it's too late for that. It, like at night? Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't know we had the fruit furor here. There is a time to eat lemons and it is not now. Fuck you. Tell Craig how you feel. Oh, that's what Craig is. <laughs> Do you guys see the Schobert thread on the NFL sub? The NFL sub or the Denver Broncos sub? The NFL sub. No, I don't go over there. Yeah, I don't stray over there. The very first comment, Rudolph loses his favorite receiver, shaking my head. <laughs> they're, they're good sometimes. All right, what's up, everyone? It's another episode of the Denver Broncos subreddit podcast. Still need a name, so if you have suggestions, leave them in the comments, please. I'm Aaron. As, as always, joining me is Uppercut of Justice. Hello. It was brought to our attention last week that uh, maybe we came off as a little bit clicky. So uh, if, if, if that's a problem that you think is happening on this, our third episode of the podcast, reach out, man. We, we want to bring as diverse of a viewpoint as possible. So we want to bring, we want to bring uh, more opinions to this show. So with that said, uh, we're really excited to welcome back Penance. Hello. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad you didn't ban me. Nice fuzz. Nice fuzz on the intro. Well, okay. Yeah, let me cut. I'm going to do that again. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Glad no, I that didn't was a scare one. you guys off or anything. You got it that time. God damn, I hate you so much. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Hate, hate, hate speech. <laughs> Craig, leave. <laughs> Today we're also joined by XD Caboose. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Okay, so today we're going to get into a topic that is really near and dear to Penance's heart. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite offensive lineman, that big old lovable, huggable, or hugging teddy bear. Choose the right words here, Aaron. What? What's wrong with calling him a teddy bear? Uh, just be careful. You're treading... Am, am I? Hmm. Okay, well, I, I, I guess I'll just shut up and, and I'll hand it over to Penance. Wait, you're just going to give it to me cold like that? Well, we're going to give it to somebody who can use a microphone is what we're no, going to do. please do. Jesus. <sighs> okay, where am I going to start on this? Just so all of you guys know, uh, we waited about mm, half an hour for Penance to finish transposing his notes that he took with pencil and paper because apparently he doesn't live in the 21st century. Oh, we didn't wait longer than that. He was probably doing it for an hour and a half. Okay. Only about half an hour of that was during the time we could have been recording. The other half hour was Uppercut talking about Godzilla and its political references. Among other things. Among other things. What's more important than the politics? Uh, How much you hate Garrett Brooklyn Nine-Nine? What? Penance, go ahead. <sighs> Garrett Bowles being an awful left tackle. Ooh, what a hot take. What a steaming hot take you've brought to this show would you care to expound you know i know it's it's an out there opinion uh 
not commonly held, apparently, at least not vocally. But let me preface. Let me preface this episode by saying I don't know Garrett Bowles as a person. I, I'm sure he's a great guy outside of football. Nothing I'm going to speak about during this is an attack on his person or his character. I just I just want to clarify that. This is strictly about Bowles as the football player and the handicap he is to the offense. Okay, I, I wonder if you can start this off with answering one question for me. From a technical standpoint or like a skill standpoint, why does he fail? So it's I'm I'm going to be perfectly clear. I didn't I never played offensive line. I never played offensive tackle. So the true intricacies of the position I I don't know the difficulty of and I I won't claim to know every detail, but I have spoken with offensive linemen that played at the collegiate level. I have watched film breakdowns of offensive linemen from offensive and have produced these opinions based on what those people have said and then what I have seen on film from Garrett Bowles. For Garrett Bowles, it, he fails technically in things that should be correctable. And that is probably the biggest issue. A, a lot of tackles struggle with speed around the edge because they aren't quick enough or aren't flexible enough to get their kick slide to get in front of guys, or they aren't long enough to reach out and catch them properly. You know, the, those are the common things you see, especially, you know, this, this past week was the combine. You see a lot of guys who end up doing the drills where they got to stay in front of guys or catch guys around the edge. And that's not an issue for Bowles. The real issue comes with his hand placement, how willing he is to readjust his hands. You know, it, part of part of playing offensive line. Hold on, where was I? Okay, there there's a lot of fine details in it, and one of those fine details is that almost every offensive line lineman holds on almost a play to play basis. You'll see a lot of people argue that everyone holds, and it's pretty much true for the most part and part of the skill in not getting called is making it less obvious you have to be strong enough to keep the guy in front of you if you can hold on to his pads and keep him straight in front of you without him pulling to one side or the other the refs aren't going to notice that you're holding quite as much because it won't be as egregious if the guy's not winning while you're holding then he likely wouldn't have won anyway because you're already out muscling him and the refs understand that if he would have beat you and you're holding then you're getting called for the holding outside of hand placement he does have a hard time with some stunts now i will say that's an area that he's gotten better at which three years in the league i would hope so but he does still have an issue identifying stunts picking up late and delayed blitzes it really does come down to the mental aspect for bowls which is something that has plagued him his entire career even coming out of college so do you think uh that's uh correctable this year to where well, we would be able to consider him for a long-term contract i I believe that the mental aspect that Bull struggles with is a correctable issue. I don't have faith that Bulls will correct it. The minimal amount of improvement that we've seen over the last three years is it's impossible to ignore how little progress we've seen from him in that department. 
Um, his penalties, they haven't dropped. In fact, they went up this past year, which the league started calling holding penalties at a much higher rate than they had in years past. And then they dropped down and that affected the numbers on his on his holding calls. But it's not just holding. It's there. There's many aspects to his game that he does struggle with. Like I said, picking up blitzes, recognizing when guys are coming on stunts or delays, moving to the second level and finding someone blocked there. He just doesn't have surprisingly the grasp on those concepts like he does the defensive lineman trying to get around him how concerned do you think the rest of the offensive line is because this seems like a position you'd really need to rally around the family uh, but sometimes it's obvious this isn't happening yeah offensive linemen like i said i've spoken to someone that played at the collegiate level and i've listened to about off play the offensive line is is a club within the team they they understand that their job and they understand that they need to be working as a five-man unit, not as individuals. And so they look out for each other. You know, even even Ron Leary after the Bears game in week two this last season, he stood up for Bowles and said, hey, you know, that guys, you guys in the media are kind of picking on him a little bit. And we don't really like that. And part of that is that you got to stand up for your guys. You know, there there's been reports from Broncos media that, has said that the Broncos locker room has always been kind of a don't say anything bad about your teammates to the media no matter what mentality, which almost every NFL locker room is like that because you don't want to throw your teammates under the bus. It's it's not right. You've all worked hard to get there. And every player has his redeeming qualities. Bowles shows up. Do you, is, there, is there anything you think he does like exceptionally well? I mean, I think I think the hardest part is that he does have stretches of play where he is really good, and then he just has stretches of play where he's just horrible, and it's just hard to watch sometimes. It is something uh, interesting about usually or the last couple of years for stretches where like he can stop a rusher like Chernabog using its hammer, and uh, but the rest of the year. Yeah, so, Bulls does have so his bad. redeeming qualities. Like I said, it's it's not that he can't play the position on a physical level. We all knew that how gifted he was coming out of college. Um, the big hang-up is the mental side, which makes it difficult to really say he's exceptional in any one area necessarily. But he he does have his redeeming qualities. He doesn't get beat around the edge all that often. When he does, that's when we see the egregious holding penalties. And obviously, it's not happening on every down, but it's often enough that it's still a problem. He can hold up well. Like you said, he has his stretches. He he can be a positive to the team. The issue is maintaining and being consistent with that play. Well, so with that said, um, do, do you think he's an NFL player? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He clearly, uh, he's clearly built to play in the NFL. I just don't think that he's someone that you can rely upon long term. You know, we're coming into his fourth year. His fifth year option is needing to be decided upon. And, and that, that doesn't come until like May, right? Right. The, the, the team doesn't have to just, yeah, the team doesn't have to decide on his fifth year option until after the draft, which is great because it gives them flexibility to say, hey, if we get a tackle, if a tackle falls to us, take in the tackle and we're not going to pick up the option. Mm -hmm. Um if none of the prospect or tackle prospects they like fall to them, then they can say, okay, well, maybe we'll pick it up. With picking up the fifth-year option, though, 
it's hard to say, and I don't know this for sure, but with the CBA negotiations, one of the things on the, on the table for players is a fully guaranteed fifth-year option. Now, I don't know if this will apply retroactively or not, and so I'm this is pure speculation, but in the off chance that it does apply to any fifth-year option picked up after the new CBA, the team could be put in a very tough spot if they don't get an offensive tackle, and suddenly Garrett Bowles' fifth-year option is fully guaranteed because of the new CBA that may be agreed upon before they pick it up. And I believe the CBA would only affect a contract signed after the CBA is ratified. It wouldn't affect contracts that are already in place. Okay. And that makes it a lot easier. Um, but with that fifth year option, it also has to be considered that before that option's picked up, it's increasingly likely we can see extensions for Laramie Tunsil and Ronnie Stanley from the 2016 draft class before who are both projected to get close to $20 million a year. That puts Garrett Bowles' fifth-year option well over, I want to say the estimated price would be 14 or $15 million at minimum, which is a big price tag, uh, a hefty amount to be paying to someone that you aren't even sure should be starting on a, on a weekly basis. Well, so here's the second part of my question after, is he an NFL player? Um, can you move him to guard? Do you think his skill set might be better suited to playing inside? Do you think maybe inside you can kind of hide his tendency to hold more often because it's just harder to see because there's more bodies in the way? I mean, is that something that actually makes sense for him or is that kind of wishful thinking? Uh, that's an idea that gets floated around a lot. And for for good reason, it's not uncommon to take struggling tackles and push them into guard because it's it is a slightly easier position to play. You have a guy on each side of you helping you out with picking up blitzes and shifting defensive linemen around. It really makes the job easier. With Garrett Bowles, though, I don't think it would work on a, on a purely physical level. Um, with as gifted as he is athletically, he isn't strong enough or big enough to play on the interior line he already struggles a lot with power on the edge and if you line him up against a 315 pound defensive tackle coming straight at him with leverage he's going to be on his back quite often i'd imagine um it's just not something that physically he can do he came in light at 297 pounds out of the draft that that's really light for a tackle guards average over 320 pounds 330 pounds and it's just not something that realistically would work just from a physical standpoint, from a technical standpoint, you could theoretically hide his hands a little bit better on, on the inside. There's more bodies moving around. But as we saw with Ron Leary this past year, it's still something that'll be noticed if it's egregious like Bowles has been over his career. What did you think of the calls for him to be benched in season during 2019? I, I'm pretty sure I was one of those people. What was the alternative? And that's the issue. The roster makeup for the Broncos right now really makes it made it difficult and hopefully in the future will not make it difficult to bench bowls if he's struggling during a game or has a rough couple of weeks playing. You know, with between Juwan James going down and all the other injuries and not having any real depth at offensive tackle. I mean, our next best tackle was Jake Rogers, and I think that was the first time he played in the NFL. It makes it really difficult to bench a guy who, like I said, deserves to be in the NFL. He's he's gifted enough. He's clearly not the worst offensive tackle in the league, but 
when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place like that with no depth and a struggling player, you just kind of have to hope he figures it out. Well, and that's the most frustrating part of all of it is we're hoping that a 27-year-old dude figures it out. And by the time you're 27 in the NFL, you're supposed to be entering or even in your prime. And we're talking about ways to try to fix Garrett Bowles. Is there a scenario you can prefer Bowles uh, still be on the team next year? I don't think it's really any question that Garrett Bowles will be on the roster through 2020, through the 2020 season. Um, having having a player with three straight years of starting experience, having only missed snaps in one game, that's not someone that you can cut when they're on an affordable price tag. Um, just in terms of depth, reliability, you know, you you know he's going to be there for you if you do have an injury like Jawan James or if you're playing someone else ahead of him that starts to struggle or has an injury. Um, as far as finding a replacement, it's free agency is near impossible to find a starting left tackle because no no team in the league is dumb enough to let one go, at least one that's worth anything. Um, and so you have to look towards the draft and there's there hasn't been a better year to find an offensive tackle to hopefully replace him. So then uh, would you say we use our first pick in the draft to replace him this year or wait for next year? Because I don't think we would do free agency at all, because even if we pick someone up, we would be overpaying for someone who's probably worse or at best the same athletic ability. Right. Yeah. No one you're going to get on the free agent market is really worth it. But as far as the draft goes, pick number 15 is a really nice spot to be sitting because there are there are a lot of really talented players in this draft. I mean, we just saw a huge linebacker run a sub 4-4 at, at the time of recording this. It's incredible the amount of talent. And that means that better players will be available at pick 15 than we typically see in most years. As far as hard and fast saying, yes, we should take a tackle at 15, that's not necessarily something I, in the years that I've been doing scouting and evaluating the draft and looking at these players coming into the NFL, I don't like going hard and fast with that kind of stuff because it really does lock you into the mindset where, yeah, we need an offensive tackle, but then say the four best offensive tackles go before 15. If you stick with that and you take the fifth best offensive tackle this year, you're probably not getting a good value. So the the too long didn't read of that answer, I guess, is that it depends on who's available. Could you repeat what you said about uh, a linebacker you kind of cut out back? <laughs> is it important? <laughs> I just want to know the numbers, man. They sounded impressive. Yeah, hold on. I think Isaiah Simmons, you said we're in a four three seven, I believe. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. We we saw Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker, six two hundred and thirty eight pounds, run a four three nine forty. There's a lot of talent this year. I mean, this that dude is a special case though. He's some people are predicting him to play as safety and some are predicting him to play as linebacker, kind of like a Reuben Foster kind of player. Oh, he's a specimen. He can, uh, I would venture to say he could play any position on the defense. So I know you have a, a penchant for this penance, but this is a tackle podcast. <laughs> and okay, you you're the be, one that wanted to go back to it. I just wanted clarification for the people. I, I wanted them to know what you said in relationship to the rest of the sentence. And you decided, hmm, linebackers. Yeah. You can cut it out.
All right. Well, to bring us back on to the tackle topic then, um, I mean, I, I've been saying for months now that I don't think that the Broncos are going to target a tackle very high in this draft. Uh, and then based on everything we heard out of the combine, I think I'm entirely wrong. And I think that they're very open to spending that 15th overall pick on a tackle if the right guy is there. I mean, do you guys agree with that or do you think I'm off do base I, there? Do I think they should or do I think they will? Do you think they will? Uh, well, I'm going to answer my own question instead. I hope not. <laughs> you don't think they should spend a ta- uh, that first rounder on a tackle? Um, well, of course, what is the, the thing you always have to say whenever you talk about player acquisition? Depends on who's there. Right. Assume that Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs are all off the board. Is Michael Turk still on the board? Yes. We will get to him later. <laughs> okay, so all three top wide receivers are off the board. Um, is Simmons still on the board? No. Is Kinlaw? No. Is Gladney? <laughs> Don't laugh at Gladney. <laughs> yes. Gladney still on the board? Oh, God. No, pick is Gladney. Is, is Derek Brown on the board? No. Did you hear him not say Gladney was on the board? Gladney. Is Joe Burrow still on the board? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Drew Long. But uh, Uppercut <laughs> took Gladney, so that's the pick. You're welcome, Broncos land. I mean, personally, I don't think the Broncos should or will take a tackle at 15. Uh, I think Garrett Bowles will be serviceable for this year, especially uh, with Mike Munchak going into the second year. I think hopefully Munchak will help him continue the improvement that we saw near the end of the year. So you think the, the home stretch of games was the truth? We're getting, we're getting now the best of Bowles that we weren't getting under inferior line coaching. I, I think so. The the hard part is, is that uh, this isn't the first time it happened. He did this uh, two years ago, too, where the last six games was his best stretch. And then he was not great at the beginning of the year. But Mike Munchak is known to be one of, if not the best line coaches in the league. So hopefully he's got it figured out to where he's able to help him. What was the what was the pass rush like for those last four games? That- I, I've got. I've got the last four teams for you. Uh, Raiders, Lions, Chiefs, and Texas. Yeah, fuck you, Penance. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't matter. All right. I, the Chiefs' defense near the end of the year was getting much better than they were at the beginning of the year. And their pass rush, while not like amazing, wasn't anything to be laughed at. Uh, Texans also had a consistent pass rush at the time. Uh, so, I mean, two out of the two teams did have good pass rushes, and he played great games. So, hopefully, that's indicative of the future. Do we agree with that, that those games were great? From Bowles? Yes. They were I mean, fine. Relative to how he played at the beginning of the okay. year. Bowles great, then. <laughs> Bowles <I'm>, great. <laughs> and this is one of the issues I have with Garrett Bowles and a lot of the, the sympathy he gets, I guess. Um, where people will come in and say, oh, he really improved down the stretch. Oh, he looked a lot better. Now, Aaron, you you told us before we started recording here that you watched the last five games, right? 
No, I watched five college games. I was scouting. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> You're coming into a Bulls podcast and watched college games instead. I'm looking for Bulls Don't... replacements, pal. I was supposed to. Okay, Uppercut tasked me with reining you in on your Bulls hate. And and penance. Don't shame the hosts. <laughs> this isn't your show. This is our show. You yeah, shame the hosts. Our show, penance. <laughs> so you want to just try oh. that again, penance? Yep. I'm gonna run that one back real quick. Have fun editing. Oh, that's staying in. No, it is not. <laughs> that's the cold open. <laughs> I watched college games. That would be one way to do cold, like opening. Just have like a, a segment of the podcast beginning and then cut to the podcast. Why do people think that I want their help hosting the show and editing the show? Why do people come in here thinking that they can? We're just subtly trying to tell you something. Uppercut is a diva. diva. Smash something real quick. This podcast should be about correcting this podcast. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, gonna run that one back. You do you. You don't force it to me. You do. I'm you gonna guys run do that you. one back. If it naturally comes to me, you know you can send it. So this is one of the issues I take with Bulls and the people who kind of defend him uh, and make up excuses. In my opinion, excuses play. You know, there's there's always the comment of, well, he really improved down the stretch, or he really got a lot better. It He got better relatively, and that's relative to his por- performance at the start of the season, which was about as bad as it gets for, an, for a starting left tackle in the league. I will say he improved over the second half of the season, but when your improvement is still eight penalties over eight games, you're still not good. That's accepted penalties, right? That is called penalties, because accepted penalties really, in my opinion, don't matter. You committed the penalty, and it got called. It's one thing if a DB commits pass interference and doesn't get called for it. It's another thing if they do. If you get called for the penalty, you committed it. Even if they didn't actually commit it in-game and the ref just threw a flag. I mean, Garrett Bowles commits all of his penalties in-game. Plenty of them. Do you have those cataloged too? Do you have a nice spreadsheet? Um, I have his 2019 penalties sitting in front of me as well as total penalties over the last three years. Let me tell you, Aaron. it's not pretty. Aaron, mm-hmm. no more accountants. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board with that. He's making us look bad, and we don't need help with that. So- Chris, quick, do some push-ups. Oh, how many? Penance, how many push-ups can you do? Uh, Chris, I need you to do 44 push-ups because that's how many penalties Garrett Bowles has had called against him in three years. Okay. <laughs> I think he's doing it. You need to count out loud. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, Chris, 19, Chris, 20, Chris, 20, Chris, 20, Chris, 20, You're 24, almost to his two-season total. 26, 27, 28, there we go. 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, Wait, hold on. Are you going all the way down? 39, 40, yep, 41, 42, like he's breathing 43, hard. 44. Okay. Okay, congratulations. So I don't know if, if everyone knows this about 
Caboose. Caboose is the fitness expert of Denver, uh, our Denver Broncos. Okay, let's not say that, but... Well, expert being the best there is. So even if you're trash everywhere else, you're the best there is here. Okay, out of us four here, then yes. Oh, no, no. I'm giving you the 70-plus thousand. Oh. Someone's going to try to fight me on that subreddit now. <laughs> and you're already swollen enough to do 44 push-ups without breathing hard. I'm putting money on you. He's going to take your mod spot. We don't... Move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... When you compare Garrett Bowles to other offensive tackles that were drafted in 2016 and 2017 in the first round, you have Ronnie Stanley, starting left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, Laramie Tunsil, who was drafted by the Dolphins and then traded to the Texans for two first-round picks, Taylor Decker, who was drafted in the first round by the Detroit Lions, and Ryan Ramchek, who, as we all know, went to the Saints. Now, one of the things that a lot of people will point out is that... Ryan Ramchek is a right tackle. That's out in the open. Everyone knows that. But just looking at these five guys alone, in their first years, here are the penalty counts. Stanley had eight. Tunsil had six. Decker had eight. Ramchek had seven. Garrett Bowles had 15 in his first year. Now, Tunsil goes on a downhill slide in terms of penalties. He goes to 12, then 10, then 20 this past year. Garrett Bowles remains so consistent. This is the one thing he's really consistent at, getting penalties. He had 15 penalties his first year, 12 his second year, and 17 this past year. Called against him, not accept, not all of them were accepted. But then you look at Ryan Ramchek, who a lot of people, including myself, will constantly bring up as could have had him over Garrett Bowles. He has 17 penalties total in three years. Garrett Bowles matched that just last year alone. Now, like I said, Ryan Ramchek's a right tackle, and everyone will say, well, there's no guarantee he would have worked out at left tackle, and that's fine, because the Broncos needed a right tackle in the 20, 2017 draft as well. They had just signed Donald Stevenson in free agency, or is it Stephenson? I don't even remember anymore. I always heard Stevenson, and I did also just have chills go down my spine. Yeah, yep. He that hurt guy. our boy. That guy. Donald Stevenson. Now, here's the thing with the 2017 offseason. Wait, you're going to need to edit this. Donald Stevenson was signed in the 2016 offseason. Sucked so bad that he got cut immediately after. Then, the Broncos signed Menelik Watson. That one should also send shivers up your spine. Um, Donald Stevenson was signed in the 2016 offseason from the Chiefs. The Chiefs replaced him with arguably the best right tackle in football right now, Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, why we, we, meaning the Denver Broncos, prefer to pick up scraps such as Case Keenum over Kirk Cousins and the likes of those signings, I will never know. Donald Stevenson was so bad that he ended up not being with the team in 2017, and the Broncos picked up another divisional rival scraps in Menelik Watson. That is a clear sign that the team has a need at right tackle. Now, when you're looking at, when, when people were looking at the 2017 draft prospects, everyone knew Garrett Bowles is the high-ceiling, boomer-bust, super-athletic guy, while Ryan Ramchek was basically a day-one, ready-made starter from a football factory in Wisconsin. The only issue was his hips. Some teams were concerned that his hips may explode, much like there was concern for Paradis's hips, which is why Elway refused to pay him to keep him around. 
passing on Ramcheck is is a sin that I will never forgive because it was so painfully obvious that the team had a need at right tackle and left tackle and Ramcheck was clearly the better prospect. Uh, so clearly we know Ramcheck uh, is succeeding in New Orleans, but do you know uh, what the run and pass scheme that they run is? Yeah. Uh, Sean Payton, he calls the offensive plays for the Saints and their base is it's a spread offense they get the wide receivers out they throw a lot they have drew Brees and michael thomas there's no reason for them not to alvin kamara can catch the ball well it's it's based on the spread and their blocking system is based on a a man blocking scheme you know i'm hesitant to say it's zone or power because they incorporate concepts from both it's mostly a matter of drop back and protect Drew Brees. Now, Drew Brees is a great quarterback to have to be protecting because he knows who's going to be open and he gets the ball to them. And so it does make the tackles job a lot easier. But that doesn't counteract the positives that Ryan Ramchek would still have had on another team. Now, you look at the 2017 Denver Broncos. They were going into that year with new head coach Vance Joseph and they had I believe Mike McCoy calling offensive plays Mike McCoy's blocking system was was a manpower system this is when we actually saw Connor McGovern kind of start to show what he's made of and start to show that he's he might be a good starter in this league because McGovern is built more for power than zone Ramchek, I feel like he's well-rounded enough and agile enough to play in both systems in either system whether it be man or zone or a gap scheme, whatever it be, Ramchek's talented enough. Now, I have Garrett Bull's scouting report from the 2017 Combine sitting right in front of me, and one of the things it emphasizes is he may not be successful in every scheme. It clearly states that he, because of his athleticism, is probably going to be dependent on a zone-blocking scheme, something that's getting him moving, something that utilizes that athleticism. So when you have... Mike McCoy calling plays with a power man blocking scheme. It it isn't designed for someone like Garrett Bowles, especially when he's already a little bit lighter and a little bit weaker. Then you move into 2018 and you have uh, Bill Musgrave calling plays. His blocking scheme is the same as McCoy's though. It's it's power. It's man. And then you get into 2019 and we go back to zone. The Broncos, because of the five offensive coordinators in five years, have been so back and forth with the blocking schemes. And that's honestly the biggest issue that the offense has had because the offensive linemen are are all drafted for different schemes. They're all taught different things and they all have to switch around and do different things on a regular basis. It's like changing the playbook on quarterbacks on a year-to-year basis. It's difficult. Garrett Bowles, part of his struggles is that he wasn't put in a system to succeed. He wasn't given coaches to help develop him into a successful player. And God, why do I have this chat open? <laughs> <laughs> so with, uh, with the change of offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer is known to run a lot of uh, zone running schemes. Do you think this will benefit Bulls uh, in the coming year? So, and this is something that uh, obviously uh, Pat Shermer hasn't been a part of the Broncos organization for an extended period of time at this point. From my understanding, while Shermer was brought up in a West Coast zone heavy offense and upbringing and teaching similar to the Shanahan system, um, it from what I've read and my understanding, and I 
am absolutely going to look into this more. He actually relies on a lot of power and a lot of man blocking while still incorporating zone concepts. It's just he you're not going to be getting the Shanahan offense. You know, if, yeah. pe- if people think they're going to be getting the West Coast offense pure as day or updated with spread concepts, my understanding is that he he power guy. He likes man blocking and he utilizes those spread concepts. It's going to be really similar, similar to what New Orleans runs, where it's a mix, um, but it's not going to lean heavily on West Coast or zone blocking. And because of that, I have a hard time seeing Bulls succeed because he doesn't compare too badly to Nate Solder, who the Giants had these last two years at left tackle and who struggled greatly in Pat Shermer's offense. Solder kind of had some extenuating circumstances too, though, didn't he? He he wasn't um, worth what they paid him. You know, that comes back to the, you're not going to get a great franchise left tackle and free agency thing. But I would be hard pressed to say that Solder is worse than bowls um i'm not going to say either one's necessarily better because i'm i'm not going to pretend that i've broken down nate solders every game of his career like i have with bowls um but he did get paid for a reason and he was a good tackle with brady for a reason he does have some talent i mean could you attribute solders success with brady due to uh the offensive line coach in new england what was what was his name scarnecki yeah scarnecki yeah i mean he's like the other uh, offensive line coach that comes up when you talk of the greatest offensive line coach. Right. It's, I mean, yeah, it's Dante Scarnecchia and Mike Munchak. Those, if you want an offensive line guru, guys, with that being said, I, I do think Nate Solder owes some of his to Scarnecchia. Um, but I don't think that Bulls is the right guy for Munchak to mold. That is not to doubt Mike Munchak, um, but he's not perfect. You know, he he is one of the greatest offensive best, and he can he can mold some raw clay into a beautiful, beautiful offensive lineman like Alejandro Villanueva. Voice cracked, Alejandro Villanueva. You're not gonna edit that. I already know it. Um, <laughs> Garrett Bowles is not a raw piece of clay that can be molded any which way he you know like it was brought up he's already 27 he'll be 28 going into the 2020 season and already has all these hang-ups that he hasn't been able to move past i believe in mike munchak to get the most out of players but not garrett bowles it's just not someone that like i said earlier i don't hold out hope that Garrett Bowles will improve. Um, when it comes back to the scheme and play calling and all of that with the offensive linemen, that improvement that we saw over the home stretch that last Garrett Bowles, a lot of it comes down to scheme. With Drew Lockin at quarterback, that obviously helps. He's a lot more mobile and can escape pressure better. And that that did allow Bowles to play a little more free. He understood that he didn't have to hold on every down or his quarterback wasn't going to get hit. Um, but Scangarello did not get enough credit for what he was able to do over those last five games with Drew Lockin at quarterback, he he was able to call a lot of plays that they were running away from Garrett Bowles on, on, towards the right side of the line at an above average rate for the league. You know, they, they ran to the left end and off the left tackle below average according to uh, outsider sports, and they ran to the right end and right tackle above average for the league. That is a sign especially when your right tackle is Elijah Wilkinson, who's the 
backup tackle. And then even later, Jake Rogers, who's the emergency tackle at this point. Uh, Scangarello managed to get a lot of tight end help for Bowles off the left end and get some chips on those edge rushers, which the Broncos didn't face a plethora of impressive edge rushers. Now, it's the NFL, so everyone's good, and that's part of the problem. Uh, between that and then he also called a lot of quick passes. You know, people will complain that Drew Locke didn't get a lot of deep shots, and that's because you can't have him going into a seven-step drop and waiting for 20-yard routes to develop because that just gives more time for Bulls to either get beat or get caught holding. Is there a game that you could point to as the best example of what Bowles is, what he can do, and maybe what the worst of him is? There's there's a lot of games. Um, you know, one game that I... This past year, I made sure to record every single game and go back through and watch it at least twice. I would watch it once for fun, just to enjoy the game. I'd watch it a second time just to watch Bowls. And there were a lot of games where... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. It's bad. You you sound like you need to go to therapy about your <laughs> feelings about bowls. Okay. Funny me. you mentioned that, Aaron. We're starting the our Denver Broncos therapy podcast up next week. I need that help. was a solid plug right there. I need help. Let me just clarify. I was never a fan of the Garrett Bowles pick. Um, like I had told Uppercut at one point, when the day of the draft came around and Benjamin Albright tweets out, Garrett Bowles is the pick if he's there. I was in the Broncos sub and I said, if they pick Garrett Bowles, I'm going to be a Vikings fan. I changed my flair for a week and then people started kind of getting weirded out by a Vikings guy in the Broncos sub. So here we are. Um, I need to answer your question still. So you're I think editing. there's a user on the Broncos sub named like Vikings fan with the Broncos logo. Maybe that's the NFL sub. It's yeah, it's like Bronc Viking or something like that. It yeah, combines the Denver fans. Viking or I don't know. Yeah, shout out to you, whoever you are. Yeah, we orange and purple. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> you and me through thick and thin right here. Stefan Diggs, <laughs> Trevor Simeon. Um. Anyway, <laughs> Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak. Hmm. um one game that really did stand out to me to where bowls actually did have impressive flashes and just horrendous plays was the detroit game in week 16 you know detroit their best defensive player probably darius slay then after that was trey flowers who as we know well maybe don't know um trey flowers is an edge rusher he usually rushes off the right end against the left tackle. That was Bowles' matchup most of the game. Trey Flowers isn't bad. I'm hesitant to say that Garrett Bowles won the battle, but he did have some good plays where he shut down Trey Flowers and he stayed in front of him and countered his pass rush moves, whether it be a swim or a club or otherwise. But there were also some plays where Flowers really worked him with power, where he was able to get around him. So to answer your question after so long, probably the Detroit game. If you want to see the best and worst of Garrett Bowles, that might be the best game off the top of my head. If you want to just see the worst of Garrett Bowles, I can name five other games. If Garrett Bowles is someone that you have a hard time moving on from, I think the best point of reference uh, and the best guy to look at in terms of what you could potentially be getting at this point because we haven't seen him develop like he should have to be a franchise left tackle. You don't have to look any further than Kansas City. Eric Fisher was the first overall pick in 2013 for the Chiefs, if I'm remembering correctly. And he has been largely okay. 
I, I don't think any Chiefs fan is necessarily going to say that you're the best. Um, I'm sure there are plenty, much like our beloved Bulls, that complain about him and want to move on from. You really hit that weird line when you keep someone like Bulls or Fisher where they're bad enough that you are looking to replace them on a season-by-season basis, but they're also good enough that you have a hard time really committing to taking the chance on someone else. And that's why at the end of his rookie contract here after this coming season, you have to be ready to move on. You have to have an option, and that's why you can't wait until the draft. Let me rewind. You can't wait until the 2021 draft to replace him. Would you be against the Broncos trading for someone then? Um, at this point, I would be just because of the draft capital that w- it would take to get a comparable or better starter along with the amount of money that would be committed to them. Uh, any Anyone that's worth tr- getting traded for, the team's likely not trading them without a haul. Like Laramie Tunsil took two first round picks and then some. That's a bit more than I think the Broncos should spend on an upgrade because like I said, Bulls is okay. He's just needing to be replaced sooner rather than later. Okay. Well, if we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about replacing Garrett Bowles, then let's uh, kind of, kind of shake it off here and move away from the negative talk. Oh, um, hold on just a second. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're not done. I'm not done. I, <laughs> Join us in part two, folks. (laughs) You're going to be doing plenty of editing. Don't worry. (laughs) So to close out my thesis and hopefully (laughs) um, I'm just going to wrap this up with saying, as I stated, when I started this whole thing, I didn't play offensive line. I've spoken to offensive linemen. I've watched offensive linemen talk about play on the line. It's one of the most intricate areas in the sport of football outside of long snapping and that's part of why i really like to dig into it because you can never stop digging there's always something more you find out with that being said there's a lot of people who defend garrett bowls but not a lot of people who have played offensive line and not a lot of people who know offensive line play at a deep level we have denver media saying that everyone at the combine had nothing but bad things to say about garrett bowls we have Former offensive linemen and Mark Schlereth, Tyler Columbus, Orlando Franklin, every single one of them says there's hardly a redeeming quality about Garrett Bowles. When it starts to stack up to the point where almost everyone that's knowledgeable in football and with offensive line play has a hard time looking at the positives and thinks that Garrett Bowles is a negative asset, it becomes kind of comical to hear defenses for him from fans from fans from less informed which i know that sounds hypocritical because i am a fan i am less informed but i'm also forming that opinion off of what professionals have said on him you're forming that opinion off of what i'm forming that opinion off of what people who have played the position and people who have been in the trenches have said about him and people who genuinely know if he's going to be able to improve or not all right. Well, let let's move on. Let's 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 shake it off. We'll put Garrett behind us. Let's look forward into maybe replacing Garrett Bowles in this year's draft. I correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's probably five five tackles with a first round grade in this draft. You think that's about accurate? Uh, I would say that's that's probably accurate if you were to just kind of scan across what 
all the draft Knicks, you know, the Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, all them. So yeah, right now, if you were to look at consensus boards, for the most part, there's about five, maybe six offensive tackles that are being looked at as first rounders. But you have four guys who are bona fide first rounders guaranteed to go in the top 20 barring an injury or a gas mask video. Um, you start off with the freakiest athlete of the bunch, Tristan Wirfs, who moves like he could play running back, just much, much larger than most running backs. He's out of Iowa, and a lot of Broncos fans are familiar with him just because of how often he was linked to the team early in the season. I think at this point, we are going to see him go before pick 15. Um, that bears... Huh. With that, I think it has to be said that almost all four of the guaranteed first round offensive tackles are likely to go before pick 15. Barring a lucky fall, uh, the Broncos probably won't be in position to get any of them. Uh, we're likely to see those four best tackles go before pick 15. Um, okay, so those four best tackles are Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, and... And Mackay Becton out of Louisville, who is a okay. mountain of a man. Um, those are the four guys who are guaranteed to go in the first round. Uh, we could see one of them going as high as four to the Giants. Uh, like I said, I don't think any of them make it past 15. And with that being said, I do think that if one of those four guys is will pick 15 depending on who it is obviously i think the broncos would be remiss and hard pressed to pass on him okay so let's um let's start with Wirfs because you you mentioned him already uh he's he's played both tackle positions at iowa mostly though on the right side right that that's right iowa also had a good starting left tackle he's in this draft as well i'm spacing on his name right now um but he's projected to be about a third fourth rounder so one of those middle guys alaric jackson yep that's the one that is the guy like you said Worth spent a lot of his time on the on the right side and he is a freaky athlete he proved that at the combine i've been doing scouting amateur scouting of course otherwise i would not be on this podcast um what you'd be too good for us is that what you're saying i didn't say that those were your words mm-hmm. i'm just gonna hate hate absolutely mm. i'm just gonna shake 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 oh god all right uh tristan works yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> he has spent most of his time on the right side he's a freaky ass um, and a lot of people assume that that means that he can just move wherever on the line without an issue, including to left tackle. And while I don't doubt that he could play left tackle in theory, it's a lot easier to say he has the ability to play left tackle than it is to say he would be a good left tackle. It's the same thing with Bulls. He has all the ability, but there's no guarantee he will be good. Not to say that Worfs is going to have the same issues as Bulls. That's not the comparison I'm making. But left tackle's arguably the most difficult and most important position on the offensive line and to take a rookie who has played most of his career at right tackle and ask him to come in and play left tackle presumably day one if not very concerning because with your first round pick you should be getting an impact player it it would be a difficult transition again not to say he couldn't but you are asking for a lot of issues when you're taking a player 
and asking him to play out of position on day one, it's a big risk, especially with a first round pick, especially when you're in a window where you need to be hitting on draft picks to help build around your rookie quarterback. I think Tristan Wirfs would be an all pro guard. And I know I just said moving players around is difficult, but Wirfs played at right tackle. You bump him into right guard and his tendency to fire out and just destroy defensive players and his athleticism to be able to keep them in front of him would transition very well in that regard, especially if you keep him on the same side, because a lot of the work with his hands and his feet, it doesn't have to be flipped. Uh, Ron Leary, when the Broncos signed him, they put him at left guard, then right guard, then left guard, or vice versa. You know, They moved him around a lot, and he got asked about the transition from right guard to left guard and vice versa, and he said, it's like trying to wipe your butt with your left hand. <laughs> you, you can do it, but it's hard. And there's no guarantee it's going to be as good. You might get some crap everywhere. He didn't say that last part, but, you know, that's one of the things that you're looking at. So when I'm looking at the prospects in this draft, Tristan Worse, and this does come back a little bit to the blocking scheme for the Broncos. Um, he's super athletic and he fits a zone blocking scheme so well, but the Broncos don't run a whole lot of zone. And so in terms of fit with the Broncos, it's, it's not like he's the perfect guy. You know, you transition that into Jedrick Wills. Uh, I've heard some people say that he could transition to guard, but I like him at right tackle. He's got good size, good athleticism. He's being talked about as potentially the best tackle in the draft. Now, the big thing with Wills is that right tackle for Alabama these last few years with the left-handed Tua Tagovailoa is the blindside blocker. Now, that's not to right, say... So yeah, go ahead. That acts more like an LT, right, then? Right. It, he's used to being on an island. He's used to picking up those guys that are coming from the blind side and ushering them around, ushering them underneath. He he has experience on the blind side, which is valuable. It's incredibly valuable. But you do still have the issue of having to mirror every every piece of muscle memory these guys have learned over the last three or four years. And right. that's that is a hard thing to break. Right. And that's always scary, too, to to ask of any player. But if Garrett Bowles and Paxton Lynch have taught me anything as, you know, kind of in the same boat as you, uh, like I like amateur scouting, I don't want to deal with uh, project players in the first round anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm and if you're moving a guy all around the offensive line or to the other side of the offensive line, isn't that kind of a project player? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm in the same spot as you. You know, I I had John Elway syndrome for a little while when I first got into it and saw, you know, the fastest 40s and the most bench reps. And this guy's an athletic freak. So, you know, if you got good coaches and you believe in your coaches, you can get this guy to be the Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. um, but we found out that that's just not the case. You know, there's there is a side to scouting, especially when you're an amateur and you don't get to be at interviews and you don't get to meet these players at all like some of the regular media do at the combine which is a fantastic event where you run into just about everyone it's the mecca of the football world in february the the character side and the intelligence side is something that doesn't you can't really see that on film most of the time you can't right. see how they respond to coaches in practice you don't see how well they pick up the playbook you don't see how they study film or what their study habits are if they have any a la paxton lynch you know it's it's one of those areas where you need to kind of play it safe to a degree. And the Broncos really did figure that out. And 
I don't want this to sound like I'm knocking on any uh, on Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills or any of these other prospects because, like I said, we don't know as amateur scouts. Right. Well, so staying in that vein then of a guy who's probably kind of a, a project player, Makai Becton, do you think he fits into that role or do you think he's a little more polished than maybe Wills or probably not, not more polished than Wills or Wirfs, but he is a natural left tackle? How much of a project do you think he is? Um, with Becton, I out of the four big tackle prospects this year, I do feel like he is the least polished, the least pro-ready. He's a guy that you could convince yourself you're okay with sitting for a year while he learns and gets up to speed in the NFL. Now, I don't necessarily think it would take him a full year to get to starting caliber, but my own personal estimation is that he is a bit more of a project than I would prefer where left tackles are ready a liability. If if I were a team like, say, the 49ers or the Eagles, where I have a good starting left tackle that it, we're getting ready to move on from, then I would be totally fine with Mekhi Becton because he does, you know, he gives you that assurance where, hey, you know, we're sitting him for a year because we've got someone better. But for the Broncos, where you have Garrett Bowles, if he has another stretch like he had this last year where he had five penalties in the first two games, are you going to be comfortable putting him out there? And I, I'm hesitant with that because I feel like it may cause issues, issues with his development that you just don't want to run into if you're going to handle him as a developmental player. I mean, isn't that kind of where we were with Drew Locke, though? I don't, I mean, we had a guy, we had Joe Flacco, and Locke was a bit of a project, maybe not as much as Becton would be. But we had a guy who was okay in front of him, a guy that we could live with in front of him. Yeah, and I mean, I think we saw that exact scenario play out with, you know, Flacco, everyone could convince themselves going into the season that he was a good enough starter. But once things started to fall apart, you know, you get that 0-4 start and Flacco is a statue in the pocket, which at the time it was being blamed on the offensive line for not blocking, but once we got a mobile quarterback, we kind of saw how that played out. But you saw a lot of Broncos fans calling for Joe Flacco's head and calling for Elway's head saying, why is Drew Locke on IR? You know, I I know I was one of the more vocal ones about that because it was handled while we can say in hindsight well because of how it turned out. I at the time and to this day, I don't think it's unfair to say it was still handled a little poorly because you still could have gotten him those extra practice reps. And that that's the kind of situation I foresee where if you take a guy like Becton um, and Bull starts to struggle, you're going to have a lot of fans saying, hey, we've got a first rounder behind him, put him in. Okay, well, let's talk about somebody a little more polished. Maybe I think he's the most pro-ready of, of the guys we've talked about. Andrew Thomas from Georgia looks like a day one left tackle to me. And I totally agree. Andrew Thomas, and this is this is a bold claim. Uh, like I said, I've been doing the amateur scouting. This is my fourth draft. I've really evaluated deeply. Um, I've identified some tackles like Brian O'Neill, Orlando Brown. I loved him. He had great tape. Braden Smith, the right tackle for the Colts. Those guys, I, I feel like I've been able to eva evaluate them pretty well. And Andrew Thomas is the best offensive tackle, at least pure left tackle, that I've seen since Ronnie Stanley and Laramie Tunsil have come out. He's the best one that I've evaluated in terms of pure left tackle. And to get someone like him on the Broncos would be a huge boon. He's at, he, 
he's not a freakish athlete. He's not going to impress you with a 40 time or anything like that, but he meets every minimum that you need. He is athletic enough. He is more than strong enough. He is an absolute bulldozer in the run game. He's got long arms. I heard the phrase, he's got meat hooks for hands. And I love it. You know, he, like you said, he's probably the most polished in this draft. And just because of how freaky the other three tackles have been, he's starting to get pushed back just a little bit. You know, you're right. I think you mentioned that last week, didn't you? That uh, in some non amateur drafts, you've seen him in around like 15. Yeah. I mean, you, you see the, the big name guys like Mel Kuyper and all of them putting out mock drafts on a decent, decently regular basis. And a few of them, well-known and well-respected mock draft guys have been saying that, hey, Andrew Thomas might be available at 15. He might make it to that point or at least be within range of a trade if the Broncos are interested enough. And one of the great things about Thomas is that he fits Shermer's scheme to a T. He's exactly what Shermer's looking for. He's good in pass pro. You know, I'm saying a lot of positives and I know it sounds like I, I don't have anything negative to say about Andrew Thomas and that's not true. He does come with issues like any prospect and concerns, but he is plug and play day one going to be, I assume, a 10 year plus starter with Drew Locke at quarterback. Um, he fits the scheme to a T and a lot of people are kind of looking at him potentially falling to 10 to 15 range. I haven't seen him go past 15 because the Broncos would be kind of uh, passed on him at this point. Who would be the players you would take over? Andrew Thomas. Um, Outside of the obvious ones, or do you want me to list them all? Give them all to me. Give, give them all to you. So obviously you have Joe Burrow. I love Drew Locke, but if Joe Bur- if Joe Burrow's there at 15, I I would hope you would trade it. I don't know if he's there at 15. There's well, probably a big issue. Joe Burrow is just better Drew Locke, right? I mean, you'd be dumb not to take that, I think. I mean, it, yeah, it's Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow's going number 1 overall. So that's not it's, that doesn't need to be a conversation, I guess. Right. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Tackle podcast. Sorry. You asked. Yeah, you. All right. I asked, and then we decided to gush over uh, Do the Burrow or whatever. (laughs) Um, Joe Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Isaiah Simmons. uh, That's not any wide receivers. Yeah, those are all the guys I absolutely, as it stands today, would absolutely take over Andrew Thomas. No, you're missing one player. Yeah, Michael Turk. Michael Turk, there you go. Um, we'll get to him later. Yeah, He's I, coming. I know I didn't say any wide receivers there. I know I didn't say any of the other tackles. And I know I didn't say any defensive linemen. Um, this is all pending free agency, of course. Uh, if the Broncos don't sign any decent defensive linemen in free agency, I would probably prefer Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw if they don't manage to get at least a startable wide receiver in free agency. I would probably prefer Judy or Lamb or Ruggs, um, but I'm under the assumption that the Broncos are going to sign at least one defensive and at least one wide receiver caliber unknown. You mean one defensive lineman outside of Wolf or Harris? Yes, 
I, I do. I expect. Yeah. So Wolf or Harris, uh, I don't know if either of them will be back. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an insider. I don't have sources. But yeah, one of them and a D and a free agent, outside free agent, or two outside free agents if neither of them get re-signed. Wolf could be going and uh, reconnecting with Vance. <laughs> More power. Hey to Vance. Him. Hey Vance. Um, yeah. Is Wolf tall? <laughs> Derek's tall. He goes with the ones. Thank you, Vance. Speaking of Vance and the Cardinals, you can edit this out. I don't care. I'm making more work for you. The Arizona Cardinals had so many freaking Broncos cast off on roster last year. Yes, they did. Yep. Okay. We're just going to stop it there then. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Keyshawn Bieria, Aaron Brewer. Uh, Wait, Keyshawn wasn't on the Broncos? No. I thought Keyshawn went to the XFL. Uh, well, oh, he only played one game for the Cardinals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I thought he was a Bronco still. Max Garcia. He uh, wears roller skates to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I think Cass Ca- Cassius Marsh was on the Broncos. At Cassius one? Marsh. Yeah, Cassius. 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 Um, there are a few others. Cassius. I think we need three more times. Cassius. <laughs> you really got a Joe Walker, I think. Uh, God, there's just so many. Like, Van- like I'm pretty sure Cliff Kingsbury came to the league and just said, "Hey, Vance, do you know any players we can sign?" And Vance just like pulled up the 2018 Broncos roster and said, "Yeah, I know a few. I got you, Cliff." <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what he sounds like. That didn't sound like Vance Joseph. That's exactly what he sounded like. I want a conversation between Vance Joseph and Adam Jones over the phone, trying to negotiate a contract. I don't know what Adam Jones sounds like. Uh, The sound of punch missing. You mean Pac-Man Jones? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever. Is that what it sounds like? (laughs) I don't know. Okay, so one more first round tackle to talk about. Uh, Austin Jackson from USC. Now, what are your thoughts? That's a contentious statement there. That, you know, I'm actually. Tell us about his baby head. (laughs) You said it. Um. I'm actually surprised that you went with Austin Jackson when mentioning first rounder, uh, first round uh, who, offensive who tackles. Um, not that I disagree. I actually do like Austin Jackson the first round. Maybe not at 15, but um, the fifth guy that's getting a lot of first round talk is Josh Jones out of Houston. You know, he he's just been steadily moving up boards. You know, he's okay. Been- I, I saw him as like a possible um sleeper pick. So clearly. Whoever commented that was wrong. Yeah, he's he's not going to be a sleeper pick. Um, he's almost certainly. In fact, I would if if I could, I'd probably bet that he is not going to be available at the Broncos' second round pick. So he's going in the top forty-five. But this is about Austin Jackson. I, well, no, I'm, tell tell me about Jones because I just because I failed doesn't mean that we all have to. Well. It, 
I don't have much to add about Jones, unfortunately. I haven't had time. Um, it's the busy season for work right now. I haven't had time to break him down, really. He's someone that I saw throughout the year on lists of prospects. You know, he's third, second round guy, maybe fourth. Who knows? Nobody really knows anything about this guy. Derek King's his quarterback, and he's just kind of all over the place. Um, and so I haven't really seen his film. But from everything I've heard and everything I've read, he is steady. I guess would be the word for it. You know, like I don't know a whole lot about him, but everybody just kind of says, you know, yeah, he's he's decent. He's there. He shows up. <laughs> so you're just you're just bowing to the hive mind then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, what, what else should I do? Again. You don't scout like that. You don't just read what other people say and then that's it. Oh, clearly I do because I dismissed him as a sleeper because someone else said so. When I watch film, it's usually um. I turn it on, and then I get confused because their numbers are all weird. Normally, when I watch film, it's like Last of the Mohicans. Um, a lot of Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars? So much Star Wars. Blind Man Baldwin ain't got shit on me. Uh, I, he, I don't think he you mods understand. like so many Star Wars subs. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Have you he ever mods, seen his... He has more free time than I do. He mods. That's cool. <laughs> Have you ever seen his Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I follow him. The not not Broncos Reddit. No, I follow him. <laughs> okay, I I don't believe you. Uh, but okay, yeah, no, that's I, fine. <laughs> you don't have to. I know the truth. Uh, uh, okay, now the most important question, Penance. Out of all the guys we've listed, how would you rate them based on dateability? <sighs> going off, which one would you give a rose to? Going yeah. off the uppercut cuteness scale. <laughs> Which is what? I honestly have no idea because apparently I was way off last time we talked about it. Well, we know at the top of the scale is Voldemort. <laughs> and why is it Voldemort? Because he doesn't have a nose. Because he has snake slits for nose. <laughs> Go on, Penance. I gotta look up pictures of all of them. You don't know what Voldemort looks like? No, he needs to find which one is the closest to a snake slit nose. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, I'm not going on the record with any of this. Oh no, this is, this is on the record. No, because I'm not going to say anything. Um, yeah, Josh Jones, he's, uh, he's someone that is getting, he's starting to get late first round hype. Um, I'd be surprised at this point if he doesn't go in the first round. Austin Jackson, he very well could be a late first rounder. He's someone that if the Broncos manage to get a wide receiver like Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy with number 15 somehow, and then decided to trade back to 31 uh, with the 49ers who are in need of more draft capital, and they took Austin Jackson, I'd be more than pleased with it. He is, you know, he... He's a bit of a developmental player. I know some people have said, oh, well, he reminds me a lot of Bulls, but his issues aren't the same as Bulls. Um, a lot of it is learning. He's only 20 years old. He's young. You know, Bulls was 24 coming out. Granted, he didn't have as much experience uh, playing, but Austin Jackson, he, he's got the perfect build, the perfect size, the perfect athleticism to be a franchise left tackle. You know, maybe not the best in the league, but a coach like Munchak, that is... That's the kind of clay you want to mold. You want a young guy yeah. who 
fits the fits the athletic mold of a tackle and has the build for it where his biggest issues you know i i told you at one point that austin jackson was my favorite tackle in the draft and that was before he played aj epines out of iowa and got bullied a little bit right whoa okay wait now i actually watched that tape today uh in preparation for this and i actually thought he did a fine not a great job but a, a fair job of of taking on epinesa yeah yeah i i don't disagree you know um like I, I don't i wouldn't say that he got bullied i yeah that that's that's fair um you know it, it <laughs> are you trying to be nice no no i no i <laughs> i i genuinely do agree because i am on on the side of it where a lot of people thought that austin jackson just had a downright awful game and should be a third round prospect and i i'm on the other side of it with aaron where it, i think he had an okay game i obviously there were some things that he could have done better and there were things there were a lot of flaws that got highlighted because epinesa's probably the second best edge rusher in this draft class you know you're not going to find better competition at the college level outside of chase young jackson had a good game it had its flaws he had some issues but the biggest issue was just knowing how to counter moves you know epinesa brings an arsenal of pass rush moves that austin jackson hasn't seen and was not ready for um there's a lot to be said about that on another end but that's someone that austin jackson someone that if munchak got his hands on i really do believe could be a franchise left tackle i just want to share two little anecdotes that i noticed watching that iowa tape or the usc versus iowa tape uh there was one point when austin jackson went after a running back to like kind of shove him slash throw him towards the first down marker and I just thought, holy crap, that's Dalton Reisner. Yep. <laughs> that would be awesome to have next to Dalton. Um, and then on uh, the, the, the second one I wanted to share was uh, actually Jackson got beat by Epinesa. And Epinesa forced a fumble. And Jackson ran all the way to the other side of the line and recovered the fumble. Um, it's, not the, it's not a highlight that you would normally want to talk about but i really appreciated seeing that hustle um after he screwed it up he tried to fix it that's a plus right i mean maybe yeah yeah and this is you know this comes back to the whole we don't we don't as amateur scouts we don't get to know these guys we don't get to know them as people and so you you look at these things on the field that they're doing and how they interact with teammates on when you can see them you you know I, at least i personally i'll look up press interviews after games and see how they talk to the media see how they handle themselves in those situations because i don't want to sit there and say that some guy's gonna be fantastic if he's got huge character flaws that you could have seen just from those interviews austin jackson's a great guy by all accounts everything that's said about him he's he's an amazing guy he you know he didn't have an all-world type season that's why we're not talking about him as a top 10 prospect that's because he donated bone marrow to his sister before the season so he lost the entire offseason essentially of working with the team and he still came in and was a first-round caliber prospect i will always value guys i want to win more than guys that can win so that's a real big plus for me yeah, and I I know I've said it before. Um, you can't have enough good guys on your team. You know, a lot of people talk about wanting a mean streak on the offensive line, guys who you know aren't afraid to get into it and rough up other players a little bit. Um, nasty, yet nasty players. Which 
there's something to be said for that. You need physicality. Football is a physical game. Um, you know who's physical? Who? You know who's physical? Who? Richie Incognito. Richie Incognito is physical. Yeah, Richie Incognito. Nebraska boy, unfortunately. But there is another side to it. You can be physical between the whistles. You can be nasty between the whistles. But being a good guy, being someone that fans can root for, there's something to be said for that. And it's a value that can't be understated. I'm I'm not afraid to say that if the Broncos don't get Andrew Thomas, Austin Jackson is my next next favorite option at left tackle for them. And if he somehow ended up on the Broncos, I would be I would be singing praises to John Elway and as long as I can. Well, I like that you brought up the character aspect of it too, because uh, just uh, earlier today, Pot Roast Boobs posted an article from the Denver Post with Matt Russell talking about how the team has made a concerted effort to get those good citizens and team captains and, and those type of dudes. So that's obviously something that, you know, not only as fans that makes it easier to root for the team, but that's something the team actually is making a concerted effort to go out and find those guys who are going to, you know, bring the morals to the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, like the post said, uh, Matt Russell pointed out that the last couple drafts, they, the team really nailed that aspect. And I think that they're going to continue to focus on that uh, just because of how well it's worked for them. We've clearly seen improvement all over just because they've kind of focused on getting guys who are great people, who are good leaders, and who I think one of the big things that doesn't get mentioned as much for some reason is work ethic. You know, you, you don't get to be considered a great leader and an NFL talent without having good work ethic. Now, you can be an NFL talent without good work ethic, but you're usually not considered a leader in that case. And people make jokes all the time about, oh, he wasn't a team captain or nobody went to his birthday party. If you can't get along with your teammates, there's usually an issue. But that's kind of a tangent. <laughs> but before we get too far off of that, uh, I do want to point out that it is uh, hypocritical that Matt Russell is talking about that because he was arrested for a DUI months in jail crashed into a colorado state patrol vehicle police vehicle big rip good times what a thing to hit <laughs> of all the cars to hit uh before we go any further if you guys just want it quick update it's uh prince tego wanago wanogo yes wanogo i'm sorry i'm yeah. sorry prince tego wanogo hakeem adeniji Okay. From Kansas. Mm-hmm. Then it's Makai Becton. What, what, are, what are we looking at? Is this the ability, right? Then it's Andrew Thomas. Then it's Lucas Nyang. Nyang? Nyang? Nyang. PCU. Yep. Uh, then it's Tristan Wirfs. Then it's Jarek Wills. And then it's Ben Barch. Okay, wait. What is this again? Where? What do you think it is? Which one are you giving the rose to? <laughs> oh, uh, Prince, Prince Tega Winogo. Well, of course, he's a okay. prince. That's an unfair advantage. Oh, it this, is, this but... is the cuteness ranking. All right. Hey, Penance, thanks for joining us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah glad, glad I could be here. Glad you caught up. All right, we got anything else? Are you ready to wrap up? You want to talk about later rounds, or are we good with just talking about, like, okay. prospects? I'm gonna... I don't have any notes on other guys. I don't know. I'll just drop some names. Okay. Um... Cole McDonald. Cole McDonald. He's, you know, he needs to fill out a little bit. 
to play tackle, but I think he has the frame to do it. He can put on another 50, He's 70, an 80 man. pounds. Um, gosh, yeah. Pull up my spreadsheet here. All right, so you had mentioned Prince Tegawanogo out of Auburn. Uh, Austin Jackson, love him. Trey Adams, I haven't brought him up on the pod. It's also only my second episode. A lot of a lot of time to make up on that one. Uh, Trey Adams, he's actually essentially a redshirt senior. He had a medical redshirt year this last year, I believe, maybe the year before. He's coming out of Washington. He's a mammoth. He's six foot eight. He's got arms long enough to scratch his knees standing straight. In the last two drafts, he was my he was my favorite left tackle prospect. Um, if he had declared for either of those drafts and the Broncos got him, I would have been over the moon. Um, unfortunately, the last two years, he's been derailed between, uh, I believe, an ACL tear and then back surgery and just, you know, a plethora of injuries that he really they they are worrisome for such a big man, especially things like back injuries, because that can really take power and flexibility out of the position. Um, well, as, how much does that scare you off from him? Would you still be interested or uh, like third round for him? If, if you have a first or second round tackle taken, um, someone that you can trust a little bit more, I wouldn't be opposed to Trey Adams in the third Okay, um, as kind of a lottery ticket. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I watched a little bit of tape on him today too, and actually turned it off. It was the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. from 2019, and he just got spanked by Chase Young. He, we, yeah, no. it's Chase Young. I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, Chase, Chase Young is good, but you got to be able to do well against premier pass rushers at your own level, right? I mean, right? Yeah, and and I think part of what you're seeing is because 2019, uh, he didn't play that. F- yeah, he didn't play the last year, really, the full year, I don't think. I'd have to look that up. He's He's been on my radar for a few years, but um, yeah, not as a primary option. I'm not going to the draft thinking if if I come out with just Trey Adams as an offensive tackle, as an offensive pick, I'm not comfortable with that. Not as, you know, what would potentially be your only backup offensive tackle. You've got Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. He's He's a quieter guy. Uh, he fits the athletic build. He meets every size requirement, you know, but he, he's, he's raw. He's a raw guy. He's, you would have to hope Munchak could coach up like Villanueva. Outside of that, you know, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, he was their right tackle. He's a big man. He's a raw, raw prospect, not, not a cheerleader, just raw. Um, but... Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, there, this is, there's never been a, I shouldn't say never, there hasn't been a better year to need an offensive tackle than this year in a long time, in a long time. There's, you know, five or six guys that could be considered first rounders and probably would be in other years. You know, there's another four or five guys that are looking like if they get some decent coaching, they're going to be reliable starters. There's, you know, next year you've got Penny Sewell out of Oregon, who's supposed to be the best left tackle prospect in a decade, um, and a few other guys that I've I've started to look into. But this is the year to take an offensive tackle so that if they need to sit for a year behind Garrett Bowles, they can. 
and so that you don't feel like you need to keep Garrett Bowles around should you, you know, if you go into next offseason behind him, that's a problem because then you feel like you have to keep him around. Why do you hate Matthew Pert? <laughs> I don't hate Matthew Pert. He's getting talked about, uh, you know, a high third, maybe late second guy. Just from the limited film that I have seen, I don't necessarily love what he's bringing to the table. He does have uh, a lot of technical issues with his hands and getting caught on guys and not necessarily holding penalties, but he is restricted in that area. And yeah, it, at a certain point, the guys are so close that it's hard to separate and you just kind of have to pick your favorites based on certain things that you've seen and what you prefer. If he were a third round pick, it's hard to complain too much, but I would just prefer a few other guys over him. Hmm. Okay. Chris, you've been quiet. You got anything else for us? Uh, What, what else do you want? Uh, Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's great. <laughs> oh, I didn't no, cut I really out. I didn't hear it. Offensive tackles in the draft. I'm sorry, what? I don't really know much about offensive tackles in the draft. But we do know what you do know about. And that's the real point of this podcast. That's right. Like, everything Michael else has Kirk. been appetizer. Everything else primer. Where are we headed? Where are we going? Who are we talking oh, about? Who's the going, main course? We're going straight for who the Broncos should pick at number 15. And that is Michael Turk. Michael Turk. Who? Michael Turk. Punter out of Arizona State. Probably won't be drafted, but he put up 25 reps on bench press, I think, two days ago. Is that good? Oh, that's, that's fantastic for a punter. What's the average punter reps? If I had to guess right now, probably around 10. No, I don't want guesses. I want Okay, clarity. I will look it up. I want clarity. I want facts. Arizona State's a party school, correct? Oh, Arizona State. I don't know if it's the number one party school. I think that's uh, Champaign-Urbana. But it is always up there. Let's see. Go, 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 go. I would just assume that a punter from Arizona State would be such a big partier. Well, when you look up the average punter combine bench press, it is just a bunch of articles about Michael Turk. <laughs> and that'll, that can only mean one thing. He's so jacked that he is now the average. I don't think that's how average works at all. Yeah, no, that's uh, how it works now. I, I think we might act. And I know, Penance, you have some statistics background uh, being an accountant. We might call that an anomaly or an outlier. I believe that's the correct term. Yeah, both of those are the correct term. Um, also, here's, here's what I'll say about him putting up 45 reps at the Combine. 25. 45 would be ridiculously good. 86 reps at the Combine. He had um, more reps at the Combine than Garrett Bowles had holding penalties. <laughs> well, so did I. But, um, I don't want a punter who does 25 reps. I think that's too many. What's your ideal rep range, then? What keeps them uh, looking like Brayden? I mean, Brayden looks, what, 12? Well, he's 22. Yeah, but he looks 12. Yeah, but he is 22. See, I think 25 isn't enough reps. I only want punters who can hit 50-plus. I want Andy Janovich as punter. Ooh. If we had 22 Janos, we'd be okay. We'd be all right. 
No, his arm came out his hole. His arm hole. He doesn't need his arm to punt. He needs I his chest. I think you do, right? Nope. When you catch it in your teeth? You nah. just kick it off the snap. If oh, your chest you is bicycle big enough. kick that into the into the fucking sun. That is a rule. I don't know if everybody knows that. It's like a rule that's kind of halfway put in there for fun, but in the same way that like slavery is technically legal in 16 states still or something like that. Um, if you kick the ball into the sun, uh, you win the Super Bowl. Fire it into the sun. No, not fire it, oh. but no, kicking. Oh, oh. No, it, there is another loophole where if you get a cannon onto the field, you can use it. Well, then Tampa Bay is just really bad at cannons? They, they've never gotten it onto the field while playing. Where does that leave New England with their muskets? Mm, those aren't cannons. They're kind of like tiny cannons. <laughs> I... I feel like I could make a better argument for a boppet being a cannon than a musket. <laughs> Let's hear it. I defy no. you to do that. Please make that argument. Please. Don't we feel this joke has gone on? No. Nope. <laughs> for a while. No, because nope. you said that We've you could make this. an argument for a boppet to be a cannon. I want to hear it. All right, everybody. I, I I think I think maybe we should wrap it. It sounds like uppercut just left. We battle rapping. <laughs> Never mind. He's back. <laughs> Thought we got rid of him. <laughs> Penance. I was so ready to adopt you as the new co-host. Not sure I want that responsibility. He does the editing. We could have Craig do the editing. This poor guy, Craig. What do you have to add to this conversation? <laughs> Don't, Craig. If you say a goddamn word. Dude, you haven't said anything this whole time. Don't, Craig. Craig. Craig, if you talk uppercut, is totally dropping that guillotine on you. Craig. Craig. Quick flash of light. And a sudden stop. Craig, if they're holding you hostage, blink twice. But make it an audible blink. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we... We can't end it the same way we did last with my saying, even if it wasn't said right. Um, but I do appreciate guillotines being brought up in any, in, uh, any situation. How do, we, how do we end this? We got suggestions? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to end my bit with, uh, first of all, thank you, Chris, for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks again, Penance, for joining us. Yeah, of course. Always glad to be here. I'd also like to thank Chris. Oh, th that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I just want to issue a plea to the subreddit please help help me name this thing because i'm not getting any suggestions that are legitimate and i will not accept any variation of podcasty mcpodface or anything of that nature blind man i'm looking at you but he ain't looking back <laughs> he's always looking especially after i called him out about star wars yeah you're gonna get some bad hateful dms about that the best star wars movie is rogue one Oh, I know how we can end this. Aaron, you can... No. What? No. Uh, Aaron, you can join me or add on to it at the end if you want. Um, Cody, we love you. Yeah, Cody. What's up, man? <laughs>